episode number 42. I'm your host, Alpha Mike and El Police Radio. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about the same old, same old routine, day in, day out. Respond to calls, write reports, look at your supervisor, there's the watcher commander, and tomorrow I get to do it all over again on the next L Police Radio. Same old routine, over and over again, repeated multiple times during your career, so many times that you can almost be an expert at what you're doing. It gets old. You respond to calls, you handle the calls the same, you basically uh, write your reports, you submit them to your supervisor, the watch commander. It's the same thing over and over. It gets so monotonous that after a while you say to yourself, is this what I signed up for? Also, you have the 7, 14, 21, 28, and sometimes beyond that career itch. So how do you deal with all that? That's what we're going to look at at today's episode number 42, same old. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about my personal experience. Um, a couple of days ago, I had an issue with my uh, T-Mobile bill. That's my carrier. And I kind of like T-Mobile. And one of the reasons I like them is because my bill always comes the same. It's that same exact amount. Now, I know there are haters out there. They suck and this and that. You can't... Okay, well, everybody has a preference. But... I get my bill and I notice that there's a one-time fee a little higher than what I usually pay. So out of curiosity, I go online to see what it is. And it says one-time fee. It doesn't explain to me. So I had the pleasure. I dial that 1-800 number and I call the call center. Supposedly the call center is somewhere in Fort Lauderdale. You've got to be kidding me. What did I get? Unprofessional behavior. You can hear giggling, laughing in the background. I mean, it was really bad. So bad that the rep kept on telling me, I can uh, barely make out what you're saying. It might be my headset. If you could go ahead and please repeat yourself. And I found myself repeating myself over and over in this story that I was telling the representative. And they would put me on a brief hold, come back, and then ask me questions. uh, And they couldn't hear me. We go back and forth and then ask me some ridiculous question as to why it happened. I go, well, I just explained it to you. You put me on hold and came back. This guy, the representative, was totally way off base. He wasn't paying, he wasn't paying any attention to detail. <laughs> so it, it irritated me beyond what I can say on the radio, and I asked to see... I asked to speak to his supervisor, a guy by the name of Derek. Now, my intent wasn't to get anybody in trouble. My intent is to get the employee, the representative, on point. He was freaking horrible. There's no other words around it. He was so obnoxious, part of the conversation, after, can I put you on a brief hold? Yes, no, come back. He'd leave, he'd come back, he'd leave, he'd come back. Ask me questions about what I told him, then forget what I told him, then ask me questions again about what I told him, but then he forgot again, that kind of thing. And on one of his multiples, can I put you on hold, 
he basically comes back on the line and tells me, so you want to cancel the account? I never said I wanted to cancel the account. Now, obviously, these representatives are talking to two or three people at the same time. There's, there's, there's no doubt. But I spoke to Derek, the supervisor, so he wanted to throw his man voice at me on the phone. It was going to scare me. And I go, look, I'm trying to put you to put him on point because ultimately your subordinate is a reflection of the supervisor. And that extreme ownership of what's going on here is important. I sign up to it. I subscribe to extreme ownership all the time. So we went back and forth. We got some details. And uh, I encouraged Derek to have a little prep talk with this guy. But not to, you know, write him up. But you got to get him on point because he's freaking horrible. Then I went and tweeted the CEO of uh, T-Mobile, which I've done before, and he's responded. And just to let him know what's going on. And boy, did I get attention the next day with surveys, text messages, and, and so forth. But the problem has been handled. It's finished. It's over. But I always tell people, when you see something wrong, you can do one of two things. Mind your business, keep going, take, get on your lane, or be outspoken, not to be a troublemaker, but to correct the behavior so it doesn't happen to somebody else. So that's what I decided to do, to be uh, a motive of goodness and not necessarily just sit there and say, oh, whatever, I got to go, and you can uh, mishandle 100 more calls after me. I don't know if he's still doing it, but I do know that I gave him my two and three cents worth, and that's what counts. All right. It is time for us to discuss the El Police News Radio Countdown. I got it. I didn't have to. I keep on messing it up, but today I think I got it, but I'm not sure if I got it. Let me put you on a brief. Can I put you on a brief hold, sir, and come back? Okay. Uh, uh, please hold. One. On episode uh, 42, we feature some pretty interesting news articles, uh, definitely ones that you have to really keep a close ear to, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about it, so it's, it's going to be a little bit prolonged here. So New York frees another cop killer. Yep. Another one let go. It's ridiculous. It's like a epidemic now but uh, another black liberation army cop killer is getting paroled Robert Hayes a cold-blooded thug who killed a transit cop in a senseless subway platform shootout in 1973 then turned a sawed-off shotgun on five cops was later busted into into his hideout Transit patrolman and father of two, Sidney Thompson, 37, lost his life for merely trying to arrest the 23-year-old Hayes and a second Black Liberation uh, Army member uh, for jumping the turnstile. Sentenced to 35 to life in 1974 before state law mandated life without patrol for cop killers, Hayes will get out as early as July 24th. Yep, another one has been let go. Now, all this does to me, tell me, it motivates me to basically say it's time for the death penalty when you kill a, a law enforcement officer in this country you get the death penalty. So we don't have to read these articles 40 years later getting released. That's my opinion. Okay? This is a travesty of justice. The victims of, the family members of, of the victim, the police officers, are out. They, they never thought this would happen. But this is what's going on in this country. They're, New York is releasing them as fast as they can. It's a shame. More hatred for law enforcement. It's shown at every level, and this is one of them. Number two, now we're 
Where is number? Where is story number two? All right, well, it's got to be here somewhere. Two. Sadly, our second story brings us to the confines of Philadelphia, where we read the same thing about more cop killers being released. Philadelphia, a member of the radical group MOVE, has been released from prison nearly 40 years after the group engaged in a shootout that killed a Philadelphia police officer. Debbie Africa is the first of the so-called MOVE 9 to be released on parole. She left state prison on Saturday. Nine MOVE members were convicted of third-degree murder in the August 1978 death of Officer James Ramp and each of the 30 to 100 years in prison. The fatal confrontation came after police tried to evict the group from its rat-infested Philadelphia headquarters. Move claims Rapp was killed by friendly fire. Africa, who was pregnant at the time and gave birth in prison, said in a statement issued by her lawyer that she's happy to finally be home she called for the release of the other six hoodlums for surviving and the surviving def defendants, including the father of her son, all of whom remain behind bars. Two other MOVE members appeared before the state parole board on the same day as Debbie Africa, but were denied parole, according to defense lawyers. Police and MOVE, an anti-establishment back-to-nature group, uh, remain in conflict for years after the shootout, culminating in the 1985 police bombing of a MOVE uh, headquarters that killed 11 people and destroyed dozens of Rose, Arojo homes. 19-week trial of ramp slang was marked by MOVE members frequently tirade against the court and society and at the time, was long was the longest and most expensive trial in Pennsylvania history. So here you have it, folks. It's proof that these commie liberal Bolsheviks have existed for more than 40 years. So these new millennials, these new kids, guess what? They were acting stupid way before you. So you're not the only one to invent stupidity. They're, they're people that got... There's way before you did. Three. And our third story makes you, it's one of these thinking articles that you kind of really have to use your, your common sense to, to, to see if we're grounded or not. But it comes out of Police One. And it basically uh, talks about recent reports of the CDC announcement that suicide in the U.S. has increased by 30% in part of the countries in the country within the last 20 years is good cause for police departments to revisit their policies on responding to suicide and other mental health crisis. While most police officers have trained, training on suicide assessment and intervention, they must also have a clear guidelines on when they should intervene, if at all. Hastings versus Barnes, and it has the case number, is an instructive case in a scenario many officers have faced, examining the case in which officers were denied qualified immunity in a, f in a federal wrongful death action. We will begin with a suicide person, Mr. Tob Hastings. In the last moments of his life, Hastings moved towards police officers with a sword directed at them. The officer shot and killed Hastings moments before the fatal sh shot. The officers have used pepper spray to try to distract and disarm Hastings, but the spray had no effects. Hastings had only pointed the sword towards himself or held it in a defensive posture until he was pepper sprayed. The officers were crowded in a doorway of a, of a bedroom with Hastings 8 to 12 feet away. <laughs> uh, officers were in 
in the home because Hastings had refused to step out to come out to speak to officers and so forth, and it goes on. So basically what the article is alluding to is a lot of suspects want to kill themselves, so they seek suicide by cop. So the, the review here is, do officers need to stop a person that wants to kill themselves if ultimately the end all is for them to kill themselves by police hands? Or can they say that they're protecting the general public? Well, you know, it goes into speculation, and of course it talks about this, this specific case, and we'll come to the conclusion. But it, you, you have to protect life at whatever cost. Obviously, officers, 8 to 12 feet with a guy with a sword, hey, cardinal rule is 20 feet, and uh, this guy had broken that, so they were in their right to shoot him. You know, do you want to avoid it? Yeah, sure, of course you do. But uh, when the end result is that this guy wants to kill himself, he's going to do it one way or another, and he's going to have the cops do it for him. So it goes on to say, see if we can get the uh, conclusion notes here. Police officers want to help people in distress. Police officers value life and risk their own to save the lives of others. Police officers are called because somebody expects them to do something. These internal and external expectations can compel officers to take actions before asking the fundamental question of whether they should take any action at all. Clearly, doing nothing is unacceptable. But taking a moment to ask what the objective is in a suicide call, respond well determined whether police break down a door tackle a mentally ill person, or use deadly force against someone who wants to die. Alternatives to immediate action in cases where distressed person's danger come only from themselves and no other, uh, no one else is at risk, including seeking a warrant or court order or protecting a scene to await for a mental health crisis team to arrive. Officers are under careful legal scrutiny when plaintiffs can point to police tactics that create an ex extenuating circumstance that otherwise did not legally exist before their intervention. Tactical disengagement is a strategy designed for situations where a successful outcome is not necessary is not reasonably certain until additional resources or information are available to execute a plan to meet a clear defined objective police officers all will always be ready to help their trainers owe them the decision making tools to know how to do that with the weight of the law in their favor the bottom line is that takes a huge toll legally on the agency and the officers on their fiduciary duty. Um, when I was an instructor, you, we taught about being an active participant in a scene. And if you have to sit, scratch your head, and some other body parts before you take action, that's called liability. So... My guess is no, you have to act from the word go based on the scenario presented before you, not second guess the scenario. Yes, you're going to use the best tactics available, but they might not be pretty. That's one thing about use of force. It may not be pretty. Well, that concludes our uh, LPL uh, countdown, news countdown, and where in the world is the bugle lady? Good job. Take the rest of the week off. Same old. The monotony of law enforcement work. The same forms are filled out. The same complaints are heard over and over again. After a while, your subs subjects and your complaint complainants 
they all have the same face. It's all the same complaint. You've heard it all over and over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun. How do you continue to grow in an agency where you feel overwhelmed? How do you challenge yourself? Well, there is no easy answer because this is a very self-motivated position. If you're low energy, you're going to suck wind and try to get through it. But if you're a motivator and you're going to motivate yourself and others, you got to challenge yourself. And one way to challenge yourself is with continuing training. Training is very important and that it should give the student officer other views on tactics and approaches on specifics and hypothetical situations where they can basically think out of the box, but they got to think quickly. That challenge is enough to push them. Now, of course, we're talking about monotony of work. It's the same form. It's the same complaint. And you fill it out. Well, there is no easy answer. Now, some agencies are a lot larger than others, so you can move along with other aspects of the agency, detective work or, or go to a specialty and so forth. That's, of course, if they'll have you. Some people, and I know who they are and they know who they are, are doomed to patrol. Some people are doomed to the same corridor at the local prison and jail because nobody else wants to play with them. And that's a sad reality. But they have failed to continue growing. They've given up on themselves, and as a result, they've given up on their agencies, and they just come to work, shrug their shoulders. I've worked with so many interesting characters in my 27-year career. Some of them had that same old attitude. There was one guy, we'll call him Vic. He wore pant leather shoes off-duty. And you would see him in plain clothes, you know, pick up his check or see him over at headquarters. Or you see him at the local grocery store. And he was off and you would go, Vic, pant leather shoes for real? In plain clothes? And he goes, but they're free. The county gave them to me. That tells you everything. Same old, buddy. Same old. You do the same thing over and over. It becomes challenging. You don't want to continue. You don't want to go forward. And there's never the story you've never heard before. How do you challenge yourself? Well, sometimes your supervisor is going to challenge you because you have a new one. And this new supervisor is brand new chevrons. They're going to try it on you. And let me just say this, and, and, and I'm not trying to cause any ruckus here, but sometimes there are supervisors that work in agencies that they put a whole new spin on stupid. And you now enter their crazy and absurd world on how to do things. In a monotonous job that everything is so routine, now Superfly becomes your supervisor and they want to juice things up and it's just not conceivable. How do you push yourself to get through? You got to fill out the same forms in double and triplicals. Sometimes those forms get kicked back and you've got to correct them. You go to court for traffic citations. It becomes old. The average citizen doesn't know that the officer in a patrol car basically is a clerk filing, writing and filing paperwork during the course of their tour of duty, they might develop 10, 15, 20, 25 reports or, or articles of reports that they have to produce in, in their shift, 8, 10, or 12-hour shifts. And grounding yourself on how to do these routines are very important. Now, I want to get to the meat and potatoes of the subject on same old. How important it is for an officer is to snap out of it. 
Every everybody in law enforcement has good days and they have a whole bunch of bad days. Usually when they have bad days, their crew, their squad will carry them through that bad day. And then they, in turn, sooner or later will have to carry their squad or crew members in, in the future. And that's how teamwork is developed. But how important it is to snap out of it today, it is mammoth. Why? Well, they're gunning down police officers. You might have read a few articles. You might have seen a few police funerals on television. They're very sad. When you least expect it, somebody's trying to pull a gun behind your head and pull the trigger. So police officers now have come into a routine of tactical response on routine calls. Same old calls have turned tactical now, depending where you are. The sum of these calls should be tactical all the time. I will not mention the jurisdiction, but I know that they have, in the height of these things, they had a tactical team that were backup uniformed police officers, and they were basically uh, unmarked vehicles with plain clothes officers in these vehicles with long guns at the ready, and they were basically just following the marked police car on their routine calls, and they were basically eyes and ears for the officers in case they were ambushed. Now, that's all around America. That puts a whole different twist on everything. As routine as the call may sound, the officers die more so in the line of duty because they relaxed. They let their guard down. And once they let their guard down, the bad guy took advantage of it because they saw it as a routine call. I've done this a million times. This is a million and one. Nothing's going to happen. And something does. Now, we're not telling you to be a paranoid schizophrenic officer when you're out there because I'm sure there's plenty of those to go around. But you want to really be vigilant when you're out there, you know, uh, very intuitive to your surroundings. Make sure you have tactical awareness at all times. Even though you're riding, your partner should be watching your back. You don't want uh, two goofballs on a scene. You, we'll go with one and the other one paying attention. Same old isn't same anymore. Same old will get you killed nowadays. Same old will give your family a deep desire to see you again if something happens. Same old will ruin your career. Same old will finish your career. Same old is like a fungus and a cancer waiting to eat you up. The routine means that you've mastered how to do it. But it does not guarantee that while you're doing it, you'll be safe. And that's the most important ingredient in any routine that we do. You know, when you, um, you study law, um, use of force, you learn about conditioning, color-coded color conditioning, code white, code yellow, code orange. And code white is when you're at home. And I used to say to my students, when I'm on home, sitting on the sofa in my underwear, code yellow, I should be donning on my uniform now. And it goes on. We have to be in a constant awareness. When you're in uniform and you're vigilant out in the street, there are agencies, believe it or not, they know who they are, that they have officers that are sworn, they wear badges and uniforms with no gun. What? No gun. They're wandering around the streets with large targets all over them. And that routine has to stop. 
You also have agencies where you have high-ranking commanding officers with the little pistolero on their side and no duty belt. I'm a commanding officer. I don't need that. But are you tactically sound? Are you ready? You've got the gun with the bullets in the magazine, but you might not be carrying extra magazines because you look cool with the, you know, the holster, the pancake holster. You look cool. Those kind of things get people killed. So tactical awareness starts when you get dressed at home. It carries when you drive to work. It carries when you're in roll call, and it carries you all the way through the end of the tour of your duty. Whether it's out in the street or in the corridors of the prisons and jails, you have to be vigilant. There is no routine calls in law enforcement. And now it's time for our 09TG training tip. I want to take the opportunity and talk about one very important training tip that has gone to the wayside way too often. And as I was finishing my career, it was more and more prevalent. And that is, I'm not here to check my fellow partner. I'm here to do my job. Now, there was a time when I started that the senior officers put you in check made sure that you were up to standard to be part of the squad. Nowadays, in this new millennial, they don't really do that. They'll see something and they'll just keep on, I ain't the supervisor, let them handle it. But it's time to get those old, salty senior officers to get off their ass and start what they see and talking. That's not going to be well received at first. But when the crap goes down, they're going to know and be appreciative of the advice that they got. See, the old salty senior officers been there, done that, and they have the T-shirt. And because of that experience, they know more than the regular officer that might not have experienced that. How many officers wear handcuffs directly on the small of their back, waiting for that first shove into a steel door and all of a sudden, they got a disc lo- dislocated out of their spine or their back. It, it's important to mentor in your career. Mentorship makes you safe, makes your partner safe. It, it takes away the same old routine. And most importantly, it makes the agency look good. So find somebody to mentor. Make sure that they're in on it too. And mentor them with the best skill and knowledge you can give them. Because one day you'll be gone and they'll still be there. Now it's time to hop on and you know where we're going to go. We're going to have the conversation. Have you ever tried to give somebody advice and they just weren't going to listen? You told them things for their own good, but they saw it as a nuisance. Who does this guy think he is? He thinks he knows it all. All of a sudden, who died and made him boss? And they kind of snap out of whatever trance they might be in to basically not like you now because you actually had some type of affection to try to help them. You were trying to be a good person and they weren't having it. Well, that exists and it exists all too often in law enforcement as well. Sometimes people are taking a path that they just don't know how to stop. 
pretty soon we're going to have a new uh, episode on. It's called Suspicious Minds. And like I've said, it's not. we're not going to be talking about detective stories. We're going to be talking about one of the highest occupations of all occupations with the highest rate of divorce because of the foolishness that's going out there. I personally know people in law enforcement that have been accused of things and gone through the investigative process and it was felt at home. You know, this wasn't a personal thing. Oh, I'm being investigated. More too often, officers are investigated and their family members don't know anything about the investigation. They live through it and they keep on working. But sometimes with these other accusations about flirtatious behavior, look at these two FBI agents, Lovey Dove 1 and Lovey Dove 2, sending each other a, a gazillion text messages back and forth about the, the election. They're headline news now. And one of them was married. So look at or both of them. I'm not really sure, nor do I really care. But I'm just trying to bring the point. Now they're headline news. And all too often you see that in law enforcement. And a lot of people say, hey, man, this doesn't mix. I remember often telling people in my career, I've never seen a good result in law enforcement where two of the same position, officer, have gotten married and they're still married today. Now, there are some. I will give you that. But the vast majority are have divorced. And there's a lot of reasons for it. And, you know, it's not only because there was extramarital affairs. Sometimes it has to do with economics and so forth that we know that there are different problems. But we try to help sometimes, try to give advice, and it's not well received. Jesus told us through Scripture, he commanded the disciples to go in pairs and preach. But if they come upon someone's home that does not receive them well, do not fret and do not worry about it. To wipe your feet on the mat of that home and go. You see, not everybody was born to listen to the good news. Not everybody was born for salvation. Therefore, you do your part. You, that's all you have to do. Your job is not to make a perfect white picket fence movie. Your job is just to tell them, hey, take it for what it's worth, and put them on the straight and narrow. I know I have. What's sad is I've witnessed also in my career, officers go down on accusations of sexual misconduct, and their partner was witnessing the whole thing and giggling and telling everybody else in the unit, and then the partner goes down, and... The other partner tries to play stupid like they, they didn't know how serious it was. Yes, you did. It's your job to carry the six, whether you, the, your partner likes it or not. Sometimes you got to be forceful for things. They'll appreciate you for it later. And if they don't, they don't. But they can't say you didn't warn them. What's up next? Well, we always got something on El Police Radio. And we are moving along, folks. We're on episode number 42. And 43 is on the way. And it's gone fast. Before you know it, uh, the, the year anniversary will be here. And I've often uh, said... These shows are not easily comprised. They, they, they take a toll on you because you have to do research. You have to come up with the idea too. And I do all those things. And then you have to develop, you have to edit. And it's a chore because, of course, some shows 
a little bit more detailed and you really got to uh, go under the microscope. So that that takes some time too. So basically, um, an, less than an hour show uh, might have two to six hours of prep, research, and development, depending on, the, of course, the show. And um, But we do it because this is a part of mentoring. I always mentored when I was a, a senior officer most of my career. There are many, many people I mentored, and I'm proud of each and every one of them. And some of them today are still asking for advice. But today with this microphone, I'm mentoring people I don't even know. They're listening. They're taking the heed and the advice, and they're moving forward. Mentoring pays back dividends, not in cash, not in stock options, but with God. 43, suspicious minds. In the ghetto, 44. 45, oath of office. Those are our July shows. Suspicious mind, of course, we're talking about the high rate of divorce. In the ghetto, the resources that are needed to protect certain areas of the inner city, how does that affect the global picture of that agency? And oath of what? When do I get my badge? Oath of office. That's what's up. Now, we got some real excited news. How do you get in contact with us? Well, you just go to lpoliceradio.com. But one of the things that we've done on lpoliceradio.com, you can now connect to the front page. And once you get there, you're going to be met with our tactical section. And basically what it is, it's uh, the front it's the front of our page. And it basically has a list of recommendations that we've come up with for tactical gear, and it won't break the bank, or it shouldn't break the bank. Now, I know that there's plenty of haters out there. Boy, do they, if you want to talk about job security haters, they're those people, they've got their jobs secured. And, job, and the haters are going to always hate on everything that you say, suggest, and you do. Now, the intent of the front page of the lpoliceradio.com, as you scroll down to the bottom, you're going to see the Raider Cop Nation. And it's a tactical uh, advice, tactical gear that we're recommending. And we get a little bit, if you buy it off of Amazon, okay, we get a couple of pennies. It helps this show in producing itself and moving forward. Um let me tell you, there are a lot of expensive pieces of equipment that have to be purchased. And so it goes a long way. It's not to enrich us so we can go to the south of France, believe you me. So here you can go to our tactical considerations. And it could be a, a sissy loader. What the hell's a sissy loader, somebody out there saying? Well, as firearms instructor talk, it basically means that you, instead of loading your semi-automatic magazine one bullet at a time, you might hurt your precious little thumb and your finger. There's kind of a machine that does it. You just press down and press uh, the spring inside the magazine and you insert the bullet and your precious little thumb won't get a boo-boo, okay? So we, we've got that on there, magazines, tactical belts, uh, tactical eyeglasses, um, uh, there's a, an array of things, uh, simple knives, but they're all on the cheap. You don't have to second mortgage your home or, or or anything like that in order to buy some of these things. Listen, I do a lot of research, and a lot of research, especially on the gunware. You see there's these guys, they will come out with their AR-15s, looking like Tackleberry. They got everything on there. And it's good. I understand the concept that their rifle, which cost a gazillion dollars, has reinforced everything. I can understand the concept of 
heavy duty versus standard. I got that. But when you buy a no frills rifle, like let's say the Smith and Western MP package there, uh, some people say it's a good starter weapon, you know, for a beginner. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You take your gazillion tactical AR with every utility belt thing on there and you pull the trigger and the guy that's got the Smith & Weston M&P, he pulls the trigger. You try the same cartridge now, same type of round, not no different. Two, two, three, five, five, six, whatever you want. And you're telling me that your bullet will kill them faster than the Smith and Wesson guy's bullet? That's a freaking weapon. Get the point? So, our tactical consideration on Hell Police Radio, it's there for your benefit. Um, if you go ahead and click and you buy it through that Amazon link, we get a couple of pennies. Um, for a hard work and dedication. Again, we're, remember, we haven't done the YouTube. That's coming. And we're going to wait for it after the summer. It's brutally hot out there. But we have to, you know, get the cameras. We have to start rolling and on, tact, on training and tactical considerations. we got to show certain things. Cameras are expensive, folks. Drones are expensive, folks. Uh Microphones are expensive, folks. Hard drives are expensive, folks. And forget about the time consuming and everything else. We have been targeted off of Palm Bean for advertisement. And I do want to say that. So in the near future, there's going to be a, a little cut in, either in the beginning or in the middle or at the end of a podcast uh, it'll be a little spot. It's about 10, 15 seconds long, maybe even less than that. And uh, we get a couple of dimes off of it. And it's not a big deal. We haven't been selected as of yet. We've been considered. I have to look at who the advertiser is going to be. You know, the reason I'm sucking wind right now is because I'm not talking about killing babies or I don't have a left-wing approach or I'm, I'm not trying to get Hillary Clinton reelected. So therefore, I'm talking about law enforcement. I don't have a list of, of uh, sponsors that are eager to ooh, 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 hook me up. Remember, if you have a gun, an AR, semi-automatic, oh, you're bad. Just ask all those guys that do those reviews on guns on YouTube. Well, most of you might say, well, I still see them. They're still there. Oh, they didn't pull the plug on them that way. They pulled the economic plug. You see, some of these guys had 500,000, 800,000, a million uh, subscribers. And through that advertisement, they would get money. They pulled the plug on all that and said, we're not going to give you any money. You can keep on talking about your guns, but we're not doing business with you. And they're getting away with it. Now, all of a sudden, it's turned everybody off into these um, websites where you basically, it's not a subscription, but you help out the YouTuber or the podcaster with a $1 pledge or a $5 pledge a month or $10 or whatever. There's different ranking systems, and it helps them produce content. And if you go to that, uh, and I'm going to post it on lpoliceradio.com, when you, when you go to the website, you'll see all the left liberal pages or YouTubers or whatever you have out there that really don't need the funding because they still can get it through YouTube. They're... They've got a bunch of subscribers. They'll give them five and ten bucks a month, but not really subscribers. You're helping. You're donating. You can quit at any time. But uh, for the conservative type, law enforcement type of programming, it's a little harder. I don't know if you know, and it's a secret between me and you, the listener. Make sure nobody's listening. Look left and look right. Make sure nobody's around. 
If you have any small kids in the room, cover their ears. I'm about to say it. Are you ready? Police officers are stingy. Hey! Guy in the back row, I don't think he heard me. Cops are stingy. They don't give money. What? So there you have it, folks. And that's another problem. They got some tight wallets. No. In my career, I saw people take $5 bills out of their wallet. And the thing was wearing sunglasses. It was so dark inside that wallet. They haven't seen daylight in years. Okay? And that is one of the problems with law enforcement. Tight, 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 buddy. And I'm not just talking about the pant size. I'm also talking about the financial aspect. We've got a lot on this show. We've covered a lot, too. Let's, let's do a little revamp. Yeah. We talked about the same old, the same old thing day in and day out. How to get out of it. Challenge yourself. Have your trainers, your instructors challenge you on thinking out of the box. Be tactically sound, even for the most mundane, routine aspect of your job. Look out after each other. Don't be the daydreamer, and he's the daydreamer as well, because it's your life that depends on it. We need you to continue in the fight, because this is a long fight, and without you, we can't do it. Folks, that concludes episode number 42. We've looked at this together, and we've taken the journey. You've learned something. Use that enthusiasm. Be a strong police supporter, not negative one. God bless you. God bless the agency that serves you. And God bless the United States of America. Long live the Republic.